It's Tuesday at 8pm and you're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. So the Calvi family has reared flocks of mountain sheep on Ackle Island for more than 150 years. Today, three generations are working together and I caught up with Martina Calvi to find out more. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Martina, great to have you back on to the programme. We met a number of years ago in Galway where you told me all about your family business, Ackle Mountain Lamb. It's a very unique lamb. Your your father started an abattoir and a butcher's, I believe, in 1962. So it's I think we're on to the fourth generation now, are we? Yeah. Hello, Sharon. How are you? It's nice to be back. Um, a lot has happened uh, in maybe the nine or ten years since we spoke last. Um, yeah, so um, kind of in the late 1950s, uh, my dad started to um, butcher the lamb. And, um, you know, there were visitors to Ackle at the time or whatever, and the hotels would be busy and things like that. And um, people just loved calling in and bringing the carcass back. So he had it butchered and he had it, um, you know, cut up and ready for them and in a box and they brought it back with them. And then it kind of evolved from there that, you know, they would order with them. Sometimes we had the phone and um, he'd send it off on the train to them up to Dublin or wherever as well, back in the days when you could do that. And um, so then in 1962, he actually, um, you know, set up a purpose built, uh, as it was at the time, slaughterhouse. And we had a butcher shop. So it was a bit with a sign with the victuallers outside. So we thought we were like, great. So um, we had at the butcher shop and the um, slaughterhouse from 1962. Did your dad grow up on a farm? Yeah. So my dad's story is that when he was 11, his father died and he was raised with his mum. And he didn't have any other siblings. And um, of what they had really was um, they had their house in Kiel and he had, uh, you know, when his father died, the flock of sheep were his. And um, so um, he was farming there alongside, you know, my my, my grandmother, my grand, granny Grace, as we called her. And they had, you know, the few cows as people did and they had their flock of sheep and whatever. And um, then when he was about 19 or 20, I guess, um, you know, my granny then, uh, she came from a family where they had a shop. Her She was born in America. Her parents were Irish immigrants. They went to America and uh, they'd worked in America and whatever. And they came back home and they opened up a shop in the local village. And, uh, you know, they sold everything. That's what I hear back anecdotally, everything from the oil for the lamps to all the different things. And then when my granny moved to Kiel, she had her own little shop as well. So it was just a small shop. And, um, you know, I suppose there was a lot of tourists coming in, buying bric-a-brac and knickknacks, that kind of thing. And so there were kind of enterprising people, really. And um, my grandmother, um, they were, her, her name was Tula. So the Tulas is 
were enterprising and you know my granny could read and write way back in the day and her father as far as I know could read and write it was kind of unusual really I suppose but they were always that little bit further ahead or whatever progressive or whatever so um then my dad when he was about maybe 18 or 19 um he started butchering his lamb and I suppose it was that enterprising spirit and it was very innovative because you know it was something new uh tapping into the local lamb uh that was natural, that's pure, that's raised there at the foot of the hills, as we say, from the hilltops to the seashores. Uh, They graze on everything and uh, from the hilltop to the seashore and everything in between. And it makes for a lovely product. And, you know, it has such a phenomenal flavour. And, uh, you know, because the animals move, the muscles are exercised, um, you know, and that also adds to the the, the flavour and the, the kind of mix and variety of the diet they have. So the whole variety of heathers um, right down across the boglands and you have lots of wild shrubs and herbs and, you know, different kind of berries and whatever. And then out to the coastal region where you have all the marron grasses and the coastal grasses and those plants and whatever and then we have a very special area which is now um defined as a macare and in there there's you know a whole other variety like you know and then we have an area that's you know a salted area where the salt water comes in and remains for a certain so many months of the year so you have you know salt loving plants there as well so and then the seaweed on the beach so the variety of what they actually consume and what they eat because they graze as they go and that's the lovely thing about it that they're not fenced in in fields that they can you know travel across all the landscape let's say because that is the system of land tenure on Ackill Island it is commonage that's owned by the local farmers and I think the awards kind of demonstrate that it is a very unique and distinctive flavour because you've won Great Taste Awards, you've won Block Nairn Awards, and you've also then been featured on a number of TV programmes. So whenever you describe the terroir there, anybody that follows Nevin Maguire, for example, his TV programmes, Ackle Mountain Lamb has been featured on, I think it was one of the Greenway um, yeah, so yeah, that's right. And then um, also um, the food, the Irish Food Writers Guild Award, and um, which we were so delighted uh, to be the recipients of a prize from the Food Writers, the Irish Food Writers Guild. And then the Farming for Nature, the inaugural Farming for Nature Awards in um, 2018. Um, our family were the, the the first, the winners of that. And again, that was a real endorsement as well onto the method of farming, the way of farming, what hill sheep farming actually represents and means to communities in terms of sustainability. And then the fact that we have our own abattoir on the farm and that we market, promote and sell the product. And so from our own lambs and also we source lamb locally from local farming families. So it has an, it, it contributes to the economic sustainability of the area and the social sustainability, because in a way that if people can make a living in the area, they can settle in the area, send their kids to school be in the pipe bands, the charities, whatever, the voluntary organisations, whatever, fill the schools. So and then also there is what's known as cultural sustainability as well. So it's very important that because people can remain in a place, the culture remains alive as well. So um, that's the economic sustainability, the social sustainability, cultural sustainability and environmental sustainability. Because remember, the sheep are out grazing on the hills. It's not ploughed. 
It's not drained. It's not seeded. Um, there's no weed killers. There's no fertilizers. You know, there's nothing added. It's an intact carbon bank. And, you know, that is a massive, you know, in terms of for the environment that people can farm in that way and produce an excellent product off it. Um, that is so pure because there is nothing added. We don't tamper with it in any way. Can I ask you about the availability of lamb? Because I think a lot of people think about lambs are born in the spring. So is there a better time of the year to eat lamb? Is it a seasonal product or is it an all year round product? Yeah, so what we do is typically um, our, our flocks lamb from kind of May and into June. And um, so we have the lamb available maybe 12, 14 weeks after that. And then right through the Christmas into January. And then the lambs, that, the ones that were born kind of late June, we have those then ready for the Easter market. And, you know, we raise them on the area that's the salt marsh plain at home. So in that area. So we have a very special product for the um, the Easter market, the salt marsh. And often people book it from one year to the next because there's only so many of them in it. Like there's only a certain number of them in that way. So um, like for us, we have the lamb available right from, say, July, August, and we can have it available, you know, January, February. And then again, at Easter, we have the salt marsh lamb. So, you know, and it is a product that people will come back and buy maybe twice, three times in the course of those many months, you know. And lamb is very much associated with Easter time, I think, in Ireland for that Easter Sunday roast. Yeah, that's right. So like you you find, as I say, that people um will book it from one year to the next. You know, they'll say to Grony on the phone, you know, put me down for one for next year. Because sometimes when people ring, we don't have any of it left. There, you know, it's gone. There's only so many, so many available. So um it is very popular with people. People do like it, and it's a very distinctive product. There's nothing like it available. And you know, considering as you said, all the prizes and the endorsements, like you know, we we say it's the lamb with the wow. You know, if you want the lamb with the wow for your Easter dinner you have to book it in time you know absolutely and you mentioned Gráinne there and Gráinne is one of your sisters one of your many sisters and mm -hmm. she is the butcher in the family I believe that's right. So like uh, if people want to find out more about the lamb or buy it or whatever we have the website which is akalam.ie. And on there, you can purchase what we have available. At the minute, we're doing um, a, um, a celebratory offer over 60 years in business. And, you know, it, it is an excellent offer. You can save 90 euro on that offer. And um, what you can also do is you can telephone Gronia direct 098-43158. And if you have any queries as well, Gronia will take you through exactly what's in the carcass or what's in the side, depending on what you're buying, what you can do with it. And then she'll find out as well, how many will she pack it for? So when she's packing the little bags, is there two in the family, three, one, whatever? And then she can pack it, you know, to meet the needs of that uh, customer. And she'll talk and chat through everything. And, um, you know, people, that's what people do from year to year. They'll just give Gronia a call, you know, when they want to get a lamb. And, you know, at, at this stage, you know, the awful lot of the customers by name, like from the different places all around Ireland, you know. And sometimes when you hear Gronia on the phone, it's like she's having the chats with people. You know, that's that's just the way she is, you know. And people love ringing and having the chats and finding out how things are. Like people become your friends, really, after, after so many times calling. 
call it. So you have other sisters involved in the business as well, Martina. Your background is a teaching background, but you come into the business to focus on the marketing side of things. Yeah, so like I, I qualified in teaching back in the in the nineteen eighties. So and I was teaching um until twenty seventeen. And um it was around maybe 2010, 2011. I had rheumatoid arthritis back in the early nineties and it went into remission for almost twenty years. And then it came back and it really hit me really, really, you know, it was a really tough hit. And so much so that it kind of immobilized me. I had to step back from teaching, um, you know, in 2017 completely. But I was for a few years before that, you know, with a lot of surgeries. Um, I have a prosthetic wrist, fused wrist, cerebral photospinal fusion. Last November, I had a triple ankle fusion um, and on and on and on, that kind of thing. And I had the breast cancer thrown in then as well. And, um, you know, that was another journey in itself. Um, so um, I stepped into the business maybe around 2013. I was still teaching and I was trying to do a few things to reposition the brand. Look, we were kind of, you know, doing our thing, busy in our shop with the abattoirs, I say, in the butchers. And um, but we just weren't shouting loud enough about it. And um, it was it's kind of very easy for people to um, shout a bit louder than you. And um, so I had to step into the business and take up our position and reposition our product and start to try and build a kind of a national profile for ourselves, get the website going, get the social media going um, start kind of building contacts and networks, um, you know, really revamping the business and upscaling the business. And um, in 2013, I kind of had just started a few steps in that, but it really was 2014 when we kind of did a big launch again to get ourselves back on the scene and kind of ramp it up. You know, we were kind of doing it. People were coming in, doing, you know, we were selling the lamb. We had been selling it for a long, long time at that stage. But, you know, in those years, social media had become the thing and websites and whatever and I suppose we just didn't have a digital presence and uh, we just had to step it up and I guess that kind of fell on to me and I started to do that and then the more I was doing it the more there was to do the more I, I was kind of a victim of my own success the more successful it was the more time I had to give to it and I suppose the more my rheumatoid kind of you know got worse so it was kind of like a catch-22. You kind of just throughout all of those health challenges that you've had, Martina, which are all very serious. And I think in a family business, whenever the good times are good, you're all there for each other to celebrate those good times. But equally, when one of you has to go through a health challenge, you're there to support and help each other as well, because it must have been very difficult for you to keep working with um, dealing with chemotherapy, for example, whenever you had the breast cancer and all of the other treatments that go with your rheumatoid arthritis. So I, I think you're an inspiration to many people listening the way you just were so blasé throwing out all those different health challenges. Just tell me about going through that at the time, because it must not have been easy for you and your family. Yeah, and it's just that you mentioned that because I suppose, look at over the last 10 years, you know, so many challenges came my way. I kind of things kind of came at me in life that I never expected, that I never asked for. And it just got to the stage now where honestly, I just kind of go next so I can just deal with it and roll it on and the next thing. And that's the way it is. And um, so it's just 
yeah, that's that's just it. I I don't um it, I, I these things just don't pull me down. I guess I just know I have to power on and get through it, and you know focus on the outcomes that that I want. And even when I was recovering from the breast cancer, I took a master's. Um, it was during the COVID as well, and I took a master's in rural planning and development from the university in Galway, and I really enjoyed that. But I just I'm the type of person I don't ever want to kind of frame something in the negative. I really need to flip it over so that I associate something positive with it. So during that time for the breast cancer, I didn't want to think back in those years and think, oh, you know what, that took me two or three years to come through that and whatever, and that it was a loss for me in some way. What I see when I look back at that now is, God, that was the time I got that master's. And that was my second master's. I have a master's from earlier on, you know, for my career guidance and counselling. And um. So, um, you know, that that was it. But uh, in talking about the challenges with it, well, what I could say is that, if, you know, to women who are listening in, like I wasn't in on conversations about breast check um, or about breast cancer or anything like that. I kind of knew some women locally maybe that, you know, had had breast cancer. I've loved them over the years and whatever. But I wasn't really familiar with breast check. In truth, I didn't even know what breast check did. And I didn't know what age you were to be called to breast check. And in fact, I didn't even know you were to be called to breast check. I mean, how bad was I? So when I was called to breast check, I was 52 years and eight months, right? So I was was almost 53. When I got talking to friends of mine who were the same age as me, now my address say was out in Ackle, but my friends, a lot of them live in Castlebar. And when I checked with them, they had actually been called for their second one before I was called for my first one. So I found that very interesting. They were called for their first one, like really shortly around their 50th birthday. I was almost 53. So I didn't know, was it because I was out in a rural area and they were in the town? You know, the breast check is kind of like a mobile caravan. And, you know, I, I, I really wasn't too clear about that. But anyway, I can't blame anyone because, you know, I just wasn't aware of it myself. I also think, you know, you've mentioned your grandmother there who was widowed very young. Mm -hmm. And obviously to get through something like that, to run a business and to rear a child by yourself, there's great resilience there that has obviously been handed down through the generations because you're clearly a very resilient person. Yeah, I know. And it's true. I know that. But I say to people, you know what? Resilience is in everyone. Sometimes you have to dig so deep and then you might think it's not there. But you know what? You have to dig even deeper. You have to keep digging until you find it. It's there in everyone. And that's how I see it. But um, it's like my other granny. Uh, my granny, as we called her, my granny Cashel. And, you know, she was widowed for over 20 years before she actually died at, at 92. Oh, she was an inspiration. Trust me. Like, I, I learned so much from her as well. Like, I had learned from my first granny. It was a pity Granny Grace died when she did, because honestly, you know, I really could have learned so much from her. She was, oh my God, she was streets ahead, you know. But my other granny, Granny Cashel, was brilliant as well in her own way. She was so independent. She was so capable. She was like the boss of the house. She was like, honestly, I think I picked up a lot. She was a role model to me, you know, and, you know, like that. She was never a victim. She was always empowered herself. She, you know, survived no matter what came at her and they didn't have much. 
And, um, you know, but she just had a great attitude and it was like, you certainly couldn't be feeling sorry for yourself. Um, like she would acknowledge when things weren't going well or when there was something like it's not that she kind of was in denial of things, but it was a strategy she had to manage and to survive. Because if, if you started taking things to heart as they were happening, honestly, there'd come a day you wouldn't get out of the bed at all. So, um, you know, in that way, she definitely, you know, and she was a great one to encourage, like even when I was going to college, like, you know, or when you'd be in school and I suppose our house was the type like even when we were in school there was always a job for you like you'd come home in the evening and honestly there'd be jobs for you Saturday jobs for you holiday time we'd a restaurant we'd like honestly we didn't stop uh, but my granny was the type like that she would put up a battle for you like that you know to give you a chance to get to the books like you know that you deserved a chance you should be getting a chance because she could see that that's what would break the cycle for people and she had seen it in her own lifetime within families and whatever that like it made all the difference when someone could go off and qualify as something and get into a job or a career and you know she was like you know the way we talk today you know about women and the role of women and the position of women and the voice of women and so on like my granny was there years ago and she was campaigning for us as girls we were a large family of girls and um you know she definitely um yeah she i i think i my takeaways from her i think i've kept them with me for my lifetime and how did your father feel about being surrounded by all these amazing, inspirational, strong-willed women? Yeah, like, I guess he just takes that to be the norm. That was normalised for him. Like, because, like, they were probably like, you know, ackle women. I'm not saying all ackle women. Somebody would come back and me and say, oh, my, my grandmother wasn't like that or my mother or you're not speaking for all of us. Well, I'm not speaking for all. I wouldn't speak for all of ackle, but I'm speaking from my experience. And I am saying that I would have met a lot of women um, over the years with my dad, you know, in the butcher butchers and whatever and out meeting his customers and whatever. And yeah, guess what? Like, there were ackle women that were just well able, you know, and they just had to be because for so many of them, their husbands were gone, you know, away working and they just had to find the competence and, you know, that whole capacity within themselves and they just had to manage. So they had to be very adult in that way and very mature. And uh, that's something that struck me about women in ackle. Like they didn't shy away or kind of hold on to the husband's coattails, if you know what I mean. They were certainly walking right there beside him. And um, I love that. What yeah. isn't to love? You know, it's great to have those role models there. And um, I'm sure he'll be well minded for many years to come, which is always a great privilege, I think. Hmm. I must ask you about how Ackle is very much in the limelight these days because of all the movies that have been um, filmed there, for example. Were, were you part of any of that experience? Did you see the economic benefit of that in the area whenever it was all happening? Well, you know, I suppose, look, there were a lot of people involved in it and it was a great thing. And, you know, everything like that that comes to a place like Ackle is a bonus and a benefit. So, you know, people tell me that, um, you know, it brought a lot of, I suppose, demand on services or accommodation or that kind of thing. So look, at it's an ill wind that doesn't blow some good, you know, in that sense that, yeah, I think it did. There was a lot of traction around it and whatever. So, you know, like I wasn't involved personally myself in it, but a lot of people were and, you know, a lot of people were on set or kind of providing different things or were involved in some way. And 
you know, a, a massive benefit out of it was that it really gave great content for, you know, promoters, uh, for tours and promoters and whatever. So, um, you know, that it was a good time. I think people look back at that time very favorably and think it was a good time and it was a, a great thing to happen. In terms of the, the lamb, the apple mountain lamb, is that something that you're able to export or is it just sold within Ireland? Like, you know, some of those visitors, I'm sure there's a lot more American visitors to the region now. Are they able to experience the, the lovely flavours and dishes in, in local restaurants? And then are they able to, to go online and order it for themselves for export? Yeah, so what we do is um, we can, we export like up to Northern Ireland and over to the UK and that and, um, you know, all throughout Ireland as well. Like, see, we have, um, you know, we work with LaRousse Fine Foods and then they distribute all throughout Ireland, the castles and the hotels and the top restaurants and all that kind of thing. They pitch the product at those and that works really well. And then, as, as I say, you can buy online and you can come into the shop as well to Gronia uh, for people that are in Ackle and they can purchase and bring it away, which a lot of people do. And if they come to Ackle for a few days, they come in and order whatever and they bring it home with them as well. And, um, you know, so we're available throughout the country, let's say in lots of hotels, castles, restaurants and whatever so there's times of the year that someone has it on the menu and other times they don't and then it's back on the menu so it's very much like that you know we can't say we're on the menu all the time but definitely we're featured on menus in so many of the best known well-known top restaurants hotels and castles throughout the country amazing well listen it's been great to catch up with you again and just to hear about everything that's going on in the business what's going on in Ackle and of course you yourself personally with all of those challenges that you faced from a health perspective Martina so thank you so much for talking to me and stay well yeah thanks Sharon so much I've also set up a new business Sharon which is hello good life well-being and um, it is like, um, you know, looking at um, the over 55s and we see that um, it's based on a lot of research in England, for example, um, where over 55s are looking for a different experience in terms of like the gym or whatever. So it's the hubs then are made up of 12. It's power assisted exercise machines and um, providing for a social connection and um, also for the physical and then for your mental health as well. So your overall well-being and um, so I'm rolling those out right across Ireland so people might hear about me if they hear about the Hello Good Life Wellbeing Hubs that's that's me as well so that's that's my latest You're fantastic Martina <laughs> an inspiration to <laughs> and best of luck with the new venture and thanks again Lovely chatting You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM